Hi, my name's Rachel and welcome to the Narrative Labyrinth. Here, in a small corner of the audio internet, we dive into film, TV, literature and games with in-depth review, discussion and analysis. I'm your host Rachel and today I'm joined by a selection of guests here to talk about musical episodes of television and musical films. Please welcome. Hi, I'm Sonia. I did my undergrad dissertation about the depiction of death and dying in contemporary film musical and I currently am hoping to soon do a PhD in the same department which, while not musical, will lead me back down some well-known paths. Hello, it's me, it's Zoe, and I'm back again. I'm sorry, uh, this episode is entirely my fault because I badgered Rachel to let me do one on musical episodes. So that's why I'm here, because I literally forced her to let me. It's true. She put out a call on Facebook and informed everyone this was a thing that was happening and that I had to do it. Shigo, give me a beat. Shigo! Fine. If you want a beat done right. Boom. 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 Yo, yo, yo. Sorry, suits, let's make amends. My Sunday best are my best friends. Send casual Friday down the laundry chute. Dr. Cox, I'm not crazy. Am I still singing? Singing like a bird. I don't want to be. all my drive I can't even see if this is really me the world's unfair keep it locked out there in here it's beautiful let's make this beautiful that works for me stop we are here to talk about uh, musical episodes of TV and film because they are like this weird thing that exists. They kind of fa- they do actually kind of fascinate me, and clearly Zoe thinks they're the best thing. Zoe, why are we talking about this? Because musicals are great. Like everybody loves a good musical, and if they don't, they're wrong and have no joy in their life. <laughs> you should tell that to my husband. <laughs> well, he can listen to this, and there I've told him. <laughs> I will make him. So some clear lines in the sand have been drawn there. Is it fair to say that both of you are fans of musicals? I prefer to think of myself as a musical nerd, but yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I Back at uni, I even ran the musical show at, at the local student radio. As a, as a previous student radio person, I, I feel you on that one. It's a, it's a special kind of person that chooses to do student radio at university, and clearly that's us. Clearly, and now we do podcasts. The pipeline is obvious here. It's very clearly, very clearly a direction here. The the musicals for us at uni were, well, I did a degree in theatre studies and media studies and we had to have a final project as well as a dissertation. And the amount of people who decided in their final year of uni to stage a musical was definitely (laughs) non-zero. Was it a bit like a musical episode of a TV show when there'd been no hint of a musical up until this one point and all of a sudden it's like musical, musical, musical? Especially with some of the people who suddenly went for the casting calls and it's like, 
ah, here's my uni friend, so-and-so, who is interested in Russian poetry and does Art House film and is in that musical over there. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Look, I'm never going to judge anyone. I think it's fair to say that singing is not necessarily a prerequisite for someone who is in a TV musical episode. Yes, as it is well known. I believe the Buffy musical episode is a good example of that one. Yeah, I think I'd say I'm the Alison Hannigan of the group. Like, yeah, I can't particularly sing, but I do enjoy trying. Yeah, thankfully, I think lots of other TV episodes just did like someone who really couldn't sing. They either got a voice actor or they just got them to rap. I kind of appreciate that. It's like, we know you can't sing, but we want you to feel included. Do a rap. Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. Monterey. What's it called? Monterey. Once again. Monterey. Straight out the gate, why do we actually make them? Why do we think we make musical episodes in long-running television shows? Musical episodes are a great way to explore some of the internal life of the characters because of some of the conventions of film musical and may I have a little narrative theory nerd here please do please do so one of the things about film musicals uh, and this theory was coined by Rick Altman in um, the American film musical which I believe was published in 1987 Uh, roughly late Um, 80s Roughly. Late 80s, definitely. Um, Altman's seminal theory on um, film musicals and what makes them different, for example, from uh, normal film narrative, is that within film musicals, you have a so-called dual focus narrative. That means there are essentially two narratives going on in parallel, your classic A leads to B leads to C of the overarching plot, but also the internal world of the characters and a more emotional connection between scenes, which is expressed in the songs. Uh, examples of that uh, La La Land does it quite strongly within um, the kind of more fantastical musical bits. Classic film musicals do it. Singing in the Rain, uh, I believe, is the example that is being discussed in the book. But uh, And more modernly, uh, Schmigadoon was very strongly basing everything on this dual focus narrative. But that means that because we know even people who are not familiar with the theory behind it, know that this is kind of how film musical do. Things go glitter and then you go into a fantastical world and people sing about their feelings. And pulling that convention into TV shows means that even in a show like Scrubs, for example, where the where you kind of have a fairly superficial knowledge of the characters, a musical episode allows you to use this convention that exists and this shorthand to give insight into um into your characters and you know it's really fun i think you've absolutely got it right there and i think the dual narrative thing is absolutely the truth i think there's well i think there's two reasons we come to these i think there's either talent in either the writing room the director or within the cast that has some musical ability um that they want to kind of make use of. Um, Thinking particularly the DC Arrowverse, who had um, loads of kind of glee 
alumni and other kind of musical theatre people in their shows and did a crossover episode that was a musical to make use of that talent. Um, The Big Bang Theory with Jim Parsons being a massive musical talent and basically anything with Neil Patrick Harris in. You might as well do a musical episode because you've got Neil Patrick Harris stood right there. Why would you not? Um, Did How I Met Your Mother ever do a musical episode? Nothing suits me better than a suit and it's amazing. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really a whole episode, but there is a fantastical, massive element. It's the whole uh, Warner Brothers back lot, the whole street. There's like 30 backing dancers. There's costume changes. There's acrobatics. It's like the most musical bit of musical you could possibly get. It's amazing. In a sitcom. That... that is wonderful. I, I will have to look at that on YouTube. Um, so, yeah, I think there's like the, the functional kind of uh, non-story driven reason. And that is practically they've got people that are good and they want to make use of them. Um, and it's an, uh, a creative challenge. But also, I think you're right. I think this dual narrative, you know, singing is far more emotive than talking. You know, that's why when you break up, you play Adele forever or Alanis Morissette or some other, you know, Dido for... There's nothing wrong with a good breakup song, Except, Well, though. yeah, but we're kind of taking that principle and putting it in our TV. You know, these big seminal turning points or big moments um, are often in musical episodes or, you know, some of the emotional fallout from those big decisions happen in musical episodes. And I think there's a lot of musical episodes where they take those emotions and actually we they, they get laid bare for the either the other characters and definitely for the audience. You think that definitely happens in the Scrubs episode. Buffy does it a lot. Supernatural did it in theirs. Um, How I Met Your Mother, less so. Community, less so. They're kind of played for jokes. Um, But it is about taking someone's inner feelings and putting them out there. And I think that's why we love them. Because, I mean, if you take Buffy as a prime example, um, but so many of the musical episodes it's true for, you get to, to see and hear about the emotions that normally we wouldn't. Um, so, you know, if you take Xander and Anya, um, everything seems fine. They're trying to get ready for their their wedding and everything's kind of lovely. And then you get the musical episode and then you get the whole, this is the man I plan to marry. Isn't he fine? And then as the song carries on, you get to hear about all these little tensions that you ha- might not have really spotted before. And you suddenly realize this couple that you were thought were doing really well, maybe they aren't. Uh, and I think that's the thing in, in musicals that, sometimes it's almost kind of the fourth wall break where they will sing to the audience and you'll get to hear that inner monologue that normally we don't get to hear about. Yeah, that that is definitely one of the big draws. Though I always love it when musical episodes then take this, oh, this is all fantastical and we're just talking to the audience. And then the characters who are in the scene go, wait, what? What did you just say? Like Buffy, Buffy does it. Also, I have to, I have to, uh, point out that it's incredibly hard for me whenever a specific song gets mentioned not to start singing right Which now. Which song would that be? I mean, all of the Buffy songs. Um, <laughs> True, they are extremely catchy. <laughs> a lot of the Scrubs ones I also still have stuck in my head. They're really well known for these episodes. You know, no, you don't think of Buffy in one of the first episodes that you always think of when you think of Buffy is the musical episode. And uh, the same with... Um, uh, scrubs you know they're very they're big famous they're tentpole episodes within it and some are legendary and some are famous and some are infamous maybe the 
the Xenia Warrior Princess ones should never have existed. But I guess that's a story for later on. You do, you regret making uh, me making you watch Lucy Lawless singing War. What is it good for? And really, I think everybody should experience that. Do I need to? No, no, you absolutely don't. No, no, no. Uh, everyone's a critic. Um, because it's some <laughs> dodgy stage and they're awkwardly staring at the camera in bad costume uh and no it's it's not it's it's not good that's a clear example of when we didn't need to make a musical episode yeah but sometimes you just gotta (laughs) okay i think we've said why we love them does anyone else want to add to why we love them no i think that's it i mean musicals are they're just that extra bit of fantasy um yeah, I think I kind of Sonia said as well, you know, it, you suddenly get the costume changes and the little bit of glitz and the glamour and, you know, it's just that little bit extra. Yeah, I'll take that. It's very extra. <laughs> um, So, okay, let's lay it down here. What actually makes a musical episode? Because when I was researching this, lots of people classed lots of stuff as musical episodes that I don't think actually are. Hmm, which ones do you think were? Uh, lots of people have spoken about Simpson episodes. Um. And I don't think The Simpsons ever really has done a musical episode, particularly. I think there's lots of songs in Simpsons episodes, but I wouldn't say they have done a musical. So the one I would argue in The Simpsons particular that is a musical episode is the uh, Evita pastiche, with Lisa becoming the um, student rep, because it takes a musical and riffs the songs there are yes normal Simpsons episodes have songs but in that particular instance they riff of several i think there are four or five evita songs in there very clearly called back to and i think because that is the framework of the episode i think that could be a musical episode okay i think if there are four or five songs in an episode that's starting to tip into a, a musical episode but people talking about like the monorail episode of the simpsons where they have that is that great it's a great song but it's just one song one song does not make you know that that's fair that doesn't make a musical episode for me um i appreciate it. I'm, i've got very tight restrictions on this um and lots of other people talk <laughs> about the um mary poppins riff one but again the first yeah, that's that's the one I would. But the mention. first nine minutes, um, there's I... no singing in a twenty-two minute show. Yeah. There's no singing for nine minutes. That's not a musical. It's just a slow starting musical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but uh, I feel Family Guy is the same. There's lots of musical numbers in Family Guy because Seth MacFarlane loves musicals, and we know that. Um, and lots of people say their Road 2 series are musicals because they have far more musical numbers in. And I uh, I, will sort, I will take that. But as a whole, it's not a musical show. There is just a couple of recurring formats. They have like a format that's a musical mm. episode and they bring it out occasionally. I think we've had four, maybe five. I don't know. Family Guy musical episodes. Yeah, I mean, the same with things like Phineas and Ferb, where there is a silly song once an episode. That's part of the episode format. That's not a musical episode. But they do have a musical episode, bizarrely, which um, is all about building a roller coaster. Oh, yes, yes, it is. Because uh, I think they got um, Bowling for Soup back to do a lot of the composing for that, who wrote the theme tune for uh, yes. Phineas and Ferb. I mean, also, um, Dan Povenmire loves musicals. So Exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think there's 
I think there's shows that have songs in them and then there are musical episodes. Um, interestingly, we've spoken mostly about cartoons there rather than live action. Um, but I think that's just the way it's is. I think it's harder to... I mean, yeah, there is there is always a big thing about whether things like Disney films are film musicals. Ooh. And... I I always slightly bristle because no, they're Disney films. That's a different thing. The songs belong there, but it's not. They don't work on the musical paradigms. They work on the Disney film paradigm. Different things. Yeah, they sing to move forward the action on screen, not to sing about their feelings. There's not a dual narrative as such. There isn't, and I mean the dual focus narrative is not the be all and end all. Yes, it of, is. We've decided. Um... My podcast has said so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the be-all and end-all of classic American film musical. You can't always apply it to more modern film musicals, which incidentally was one of my um one of the things I uh ended up saying in my uh dissertation, which through my supervisor made it all the way back to the guy who wrote <laughs> the uh book. Literally wrote the book on American film musical, and he said I was right. Validation! <laughs> yes! Uh. But no, um, yeah, the Disney films are different. Okay, but is that Disney, all Disney films are different where they have music or are things like High School Musical and the Descendants films, I would say they are more in the general uh, Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm talking <laughs> things like classic animated Disney. Um, yeah. Lilo and Stitch is in my head right now because it's it's very nice and very musical, but not a musical. Frozen, she does sing about her. It's more singing about emotion and stuff. So I actually think Frozen is more of a musical than a Disney musical. Quite possibly. I mean, that always makes the Broadway port easier. Um, Very true. And it has ported to Broadway. It has. I mean, it's in London currently. If you look at Disney, though, if you think pre kind of 90s when obviously Disney had to massively change things up because they were struggling with their market I think everything prior to that was very much in its nice kind of Disney bubble it had very set rules etc I think kind of post the Pixar era they've obviously had to change things up to try and get in kind of uh, different audiences but and if you look at things like kind of Moana and Enchanto, uh, especially, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda is heavily involved in those. Um, and I think they fall more into the wider musicals rule um, of thought than kind of the pure Disney bubble that existed. So what you're saying, there. Zoe, is there's modern and then there's postmodern Disney and postmodern Disney to compete with Pixar and other uh, houses are actually making more traditional musicals with their animation. Yes. Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm. That is. That is actually really interesting. <laughs> I'm completely free to be challenged on that. But Oh, no, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thought. That's right. Sonia's writing it down quickly we for her PhD. She's like, I've got a new idea. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> My PhD is about computer games, sadly, no longer <laughs> musical. It's still about death, though. Um, no, the important things remain death. <laughs> Look, I mean, there are there are some very cool depictions of death in film musicals. Don't you wanna be evil like me? Don't you wanna be mean? Don't you wanna make mischief your daily routine? What are the key conventions of a musical episode of a t of, of a TV show? Because 
when I keep looking around, there is no set answer to this. So I've kind of made some up myself. Okay, so tell me if I'm wrong or you want to add to this. But I think there's kind of three ways in which they add music. So it's like a normal show, la da 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 da, and then bam, here's a musical episode. And there's kind of three ways that they kind of seed this in. So um, the cast are singing and they don't know why, as kind of Buffy the musical style, where they're all very aware that they're breaking into song and dance, but they don't know why. Um, there's a classic, the cast are putting on a musical, uh, which Riverdale have used to death um, and subsequently ruined every musical that they looked at, which was a shame. Um, but clearly I have some pent up anger about that one. Um, and <laughs> lastly, I've got that someone imagines or sees it, but no one else does the kind of scrubs way of doing it. And Grey's Anatomy. Fringe. And Fringe, yes. Uh, I mean, the Fringe one is fascinating because Walter is on drugs and he's seeing this as a musical because he's on LSD. And the Scrubs one, isn't it someone who's got a and brain aneurysm? Yes, I believe they, they've got an aneurysm or a tumour or something. Yeah. So they're my kind of three ways from my research that I could find that people were, how they seeded a musical episode in. Uh, has anyone got any others in those or anything else? I know there's always some like individual outliers here and there. But I think that fits most of them. It sounds good. You say they're they're singing and they don't know why, and Buffy falls into that category. But I guess the other category is the villain. The villain made them sing. So obviously Buffy is the villain made them sing. Batman, the brave and the bold, again is the villain. Who is Neil Patrick Harris? Uh, makes them sing. Um, so I think that's definitely a, a a thing that gets used a few times as well. Uh, I guess that's also technically true for Futurama and the Flash Supergirl crossover that is um yeah and actually i guess for um supernatural because i think the premise they come up with there is god was bored so wanted everyone to sing no supernatural is uh, they go to a school that's doing a musical based on the books that god wrote about dean and sam it's very convoluted what Somehow <laughs> yeah. that sounded shitter uh, than my what I thought it was. I don't know how <laughs> you took a shit thing and made it shitter. But congratulations. God wrote books. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so there's 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 Chuck and Chuck's writing books about Dean and Sam, and eventually the the whole theory is that Chuck was actually God. Well, Chuck became God. It uh, it was convoluted and it was well past, you know, series six where anybody stopped caring. Didn't it have like 20 new seasons? I, I lost count. I thought it stopped and then I checked and I was like, oh no, it's still going. But I think the musical episode is season six or season seven when it started to definitely wane. I cared. Well, I never really cared. I saw like half of the first season and then I saw one episode of the second because I, I always end up engaging with some sort of media because I'm writing a thing about it for uni. So I watched Supernatural because I was writing about the Roanoke episode. So, all right, I've added, based on Zoe's theory there, uh, the villain made me do it as another option, um, which, yeah, okay. So the cast are singing, they don't know why. The cast are putting on a musical uh, and someone imagines it or sees it, but no one else does. So it's kind of like a personal thing. And then the fourthly, which I've just added, the villain made me do it. I think that covers most of them. Obviously, again, there's always outliers, but they're kind of my, my our, core, our core theory of four. Yep, that sounds about right. I kind of want to add number five, which is Neil Patrick Harris is in the cast, but I feel like that's probably covered enough with the with the kind of narrative decisions above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've got strife. That's right. And tribulation. Tribulation. And not to mention dissension. 
why do we decide to tell narrative via song? What is the de- why is that a decision that we keep making for musical episodes? I mean, you're asking a question about the existence of opera. Um, and we've been doing that since the 17th century. <laughs> I mean, humans always tell stories and humans always tell stories through songs eventually. So so you think this is just a, 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 an ongoing tradition basing back from opera. It's just a thing we do. It's a thing we, we do and we're now taking it into a new medium or a newer medium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the equivalent would be now on TikTok where people do those like micro songs for TikTok, I guess is the new new version of that. TikTok developed out of a karaoke app. So, yes. Yeah. So, I might I'm right there. Well, I guess mostly yeah. right. I'm going to say I'm right for the sake of my podcast and I like being right. <laughs> and I think we've already discussed that we do choose to share more character information via musical numbers in these episodes. Based on that, there's definitely been a flurry post sort of the mid 2000s for more of these episodes why do we think that is what is what happened in kind of the mid noughties that made us decide we wanted more musical episodes i think they became hot again so if you look at musicals as a wider genre obviously you've got the classic golden age of musicals um you know you're singing in the rain you know um rogers and hammerstein all of the really what we would consider the classics. And then there was kind of the, the the dark age where they were still making musicals, but they weren't as popular. They were kind of cheap and gimmicky. Um, you know, they didn't land as well, I guess. And they didn't have the kind of big draw in terms of numbers. Um, and then they became hot again. And I'm not sure whether La La Land started that trend, but definitely kind of joined in it um where suddenly they were big box office things again and people were going to the cinema to see musicals which they hadn't been for a while um for a while they were definitely more kind of a cult thing and i guess for musical episodes it's almost that same well not the same trend because i don't know if we did them originally but when they became cool again when they became a thing again that's when i think we started seeing more musical episodes in tv because they were almost kind of buying into that interest i i remember reading a whole article in a kind of youth magazine thing about the buffy musical episode and why it was so groundbreaking and uh that it was even it was longer than uh, a normal buffy episode and therefore it uh Took it, it completely destroyed the ske- the TV schedule that had been the same for a decade, and um, that's the first that that's one of the first places I can remember that did a musical episode. And like, yeah, I'm agreeing with Zoe that something, yeah, they they got cool again in the early two thousands. I want to say it's not La La Land. That's way too late. It's think something like Rent, but then again, I really like Rent. So I like Rent. Let's that. just say it's Rent. It's fine. Rent did it. Excellent. Um. <laughs> I think you've also got things like High School Musical, and I think we we yeah, underestimate the cultural impact of High School Musical um, and how much it really changed. Yeah. So that was 2006 High School Musical, and that was massive. It was straight to TV as well, which was kind of crazy. Uh, but it was made for like a four million budget straight on the Disney Channel, um, and it was exponentially massive. Um, not particularly critically well thought of, but was huge and you know, from High School Musical, we then got things where well, we had another two High School Musicals for a start. But then from there, we also had Pitch Perfect. And I love Pitch Perfect. There is there is nothing wrong with Pitch Perfect ever in the world. 
you didn't like musicals. I never said I didn't like them. I just don't like the terrible TV episode ones that Zoe makes me watch. Well. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think there's Pitch Perfect, which I know was 2010. So again, maybe a little bit late. Um, but Glee as well. Glee being like this big... Well, Glee was a direct because, response yeah. to High School Musical, wasn't it? It was like a TV show version of... Um, deeply yeah. problematic in so many of its choices. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it was... It was a high quality musical piece for the most part. I mean, how many people of younger generations and, and I guess our generation, um, or certainly mine, um, her journey don't stop believing for the first time because of Glee. Yep. Yep. And I think Glee was really big. Like loads of my friends who didn't like musicals. So I was raised on the classic musicals. Um, I, you know, kind of lived with my grandparents a lot and we used to watch kind of the Rodgers and Hammerstein etc that's where my love of musicals kind of very much came from um and I was very much alone in my musical love at school uh, strangely there reason. wasn't many others <laughs> um but Glee was definitely a thing that lots of people were watching it had a much wider appeal even though it was about singing Yes, I know what you mean. I mean, my, my musical nerdism um, mostly was stage musicals rather than film ones, but there weren't many of us, and then things like Lee happened, and suddenly people were watching things. And people decided a cappella was the best way to perform. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, that is deeply questionable. <laughs> a cappella can be wonderful, but the emphasis on the word can, I feel, is is important here. Um, so yeah skillful acapella can be wonderful yes yeah okay not just karaoke without music um yeah i'll agree with that um <laughs> so yeah you had high school musical you had glee i know technically the buffy episode was a little bit before then but i think the buffy one is quite an outlier um it was definitely an outlier by the time it must have well it was before 2008 i know that much 2005 ish 2001 there you go. Wow. So that was it was a real turn of the millennium. Um but you know, I think they did that because they did have some quite big musical talent in there. You think you had James Marston, you have Emma Claudefield. Uh well I I know where that one came from. Um so uh I think it was during the writer strike or whatever, or while they were doing general filming, Joss Whedon would have the cast round to his house. Um and you know, they like just be generally mucking around, having dinner, like board games, whatever. Um, and they started doing a regular sing song and uh, kind of Joss Whedon came out and said, you know, he suddenly realized he had all of this musical talent that he didn't know he had in the cast. And Alison Hannigan. Oh, obviously. <laughs> and Alison Hannigan. Hannigan. <laughs> uh, poor Alison Hannigan. Um, yeah, but that's literally where it came from. Um, it was literally them sat around his house messing around kind of singing and him going, you know what? We should do a musical episode. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the conventions of how a musical episode happens, we, as we have established. So that that tracks. Given the the wonderful, wonderful much uh, to do about nothing, people hanging about just Whedon's house in the late nineties, early two thousands really did some things. As bad as Whedon was, is whatever. Yeah, even though we've now cancelled him for good reason because he's a bit of an arsehole. Slash a lot of an arsehole. Um, he definitely did some good stuff at the time. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, the Buffy being the outlier. Well, we don't talk about the Xena one because it is so bad. It's so bad. I don't know why they want to do a musical episode. So I think that actually leads me onto a point is that sometimes I think musical episodes, they always happen in kind of the sixth or seventh season and it feels desperate. It feels like a desperate way to try and get more people to watch. Don't worry, you can watch them try and sing and dance. So you say that the Xena one was actually series three. Really? I went and checked after I made you watch it and you complained about it a lot. It, um, and, and they yeah, made more uh, seasons season three, after but, that? Yeah, and they massively hyped it up at the time. Like, it was a big deal that Xena was doing a musical episode. She's not gay, though. Don't worry. She's just doing a musical. Uh-huh. <laughs> Look. I mean... I'm, yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, but that was a case of... Um, they were put into kind of a dream state. So again, it was the villain made me do it, pretty much. There is, yeah. Um, I, I remember the case of Buffy. It was also, of course, then the tie-in uh, CD and things like that. And making a musical episode gives you something to sell. Afterwards. I mean, the Buffy one, they also sold the songbooks, the piano score. I know you could buy the guitar score as well. I went to conventions where they had whole Buffy musical sing-alongs. Like it was, it, it turned into quite a lucrative business. And I think that was compounded by High School Musical and Glee. Like there was big money in doing this. So I guess we got more of it. For Yeah, well, if you think about, uh, so Buffy, so I used to go. Uh, so uh, a lot of the the sci-fi and fantasy conventions for years, there would be a Buffy musical sing-along and I went every time and it was great. Um, was it though? And obviously it went down. It was, it was amazing. Shut up. Um, and obviously it went down so well, he then did Dr. Horrible's, well, there then came Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Um, Goodness, was, yes. Yes. I mean, I, I feel like that is can also be an artifact of the nerd overlap. Like... If you're doing things like Buffy and then you go to the kind of conventions where things like Buffy where Buffy fans go and also like there is there is this fandom high there are high fandom shows and there are kind of low fandom shows. But if you're already into high fandom shows, the step to also being in something else niche and weird like musicals isn't that big and so you already have an audience overlap. Yeah, I, We're already catering to nerds. We might as well cater to the other nerds as well. I would agree with that. And I think uh, something else that's quite interesting is a lot of these episodes are big introductions for people to musicals or musical episodes. Particularly, we talk about things like Buffy, who, you know, not necessarily had a huge uh, cross-population with people that love musicals, but it was a really well-received. And cartoons, particularly kids' cartoons. Hey Arnold had a, a Carmen... Um, musical episode and that was probably people's first experience to opera or to other kind of musical goodness I remember that gosh yes Um, that was another example of they had loads of musical talent in the cast and were like well interesting they had some musical talent and actually a lot of Hey Arnold was voiced by kids so it really did feel like kids putting on a a school play because they kind of were um and you think other things like particularly Cartoon Network, Johnny Bravo, Fairly Odd Parents, Dexter's Laboratory, they all did musical episodes um, and they were often heavily riffed on classical mu- musicals. And 
you know, there's a lot to say that's probably people's first introduction to musical theatre or musicals outside of kind of the, the Disney ones at the time, like The Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King. Goodness, I I want to go back now after this and look at a lot of musical episodes and musicals. Just like I stated, she's overrated. A big no-brainer with enormous feet. Why not forget her? I'm so much better. My name's Carl Helga and I'm awfully sweet. She's awfully sweet, so shiny. Do we think we would have had Sweeney Todd with Helen Modern Carter and Johnny Depp and it would have been such a runaway success if we hadn't had this kind of slight renaissance of musical episodes of television? Hmm. I mean, I feel like that particular version also was kind of a... That came off things like they did the uh, Phantom of the Opera live-action cinema musical in the early 2000s. And Chicago, and I believe Sweeney Todd kind of follows on from that. But on the other hand, as we said earlier, these being in cinema then made more people consider doing musical episodes. So I think it all kind of feeds into each other. Yeah, I think it gets quite cyclical. Yeah, so if you think about kind of the the early kind of more cult musicals we had for a while, they didn't have the big names in the same way. And I think it was them becoming more popular and you'd have to really look at the data. Mm, now I want to make a spreadsheet. Uh, comparing it, like the films and the TV shows to look at what came first in terms of starting to rise that popularity and getting the big names back into the musicals. Though I also have to say, like, yes, the the musicals, the musical films of like the two thousands, the early two thousands didn't have the names, but I'm always so happy when I see people who were in those then are now, who are now big names, who now show up more, um, Anthony Rapp and Rosaria Dawson being the big ones. Whereas, like, every time I see Anthony Rapp in Discovery, I go, he was in Rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I also think there's the, there's the flip side of it. So we've got a lot of kind of actors who have kind of grown up on the screen and gone on to have their own kids and have then started doing some of the more family-friendly musicals. So, you know, Kristen Chenowitz is a really good example. Um, She is Maleficent in the Descendants films. Um, And, you know, there's some other kind of big names that have gone on and done some of the more kind of uh, kid-friendly musicals because it's things their kids will enjoy now they've got them. Yeah. I mean, also... Some, but on the other hand, uh, you look at great big actors now, and then you go back to maybe some film musicals or episodes that you didn't pay attention to back then. And one of the great examples is the 1990s Disney Newsies film because it has Christian Bale in it. Yes, well, that had a resurgence on Disney Plus, and then they did the stage version as well, which is objectively better. Uh, yes, I haven't seen the stage version yet. I have seen the uh, film version. Funnily, one of the few musicals my husband likes, but I think that's mostly because it includes workers' rights. Ah, well, I mean, I always like it when they have strong political messages in my musicals. Yes. Uh, and I think yeah. if we take this on its flip side, we're now getting lots of stage musicals based off pop culture and popular... Oh, yes. Um, 
films. And I'm not going to lie, two of my absolute favorite musicals in the whole wide world is Mean Girls, which is also one of my favorite films in the whole wide world, and I don't care who knows it, um, and Heather's The Musical. Both fantastic. Yes, I've never quite loved a lot of the kind of musical adaptations as much as original musicals. And one thing I cannot stand for the life of me is a jukebox musical. Mamma Mia, uh, We Will Rock You, things like that. I hate Mamma Mia. I don't, I don't like, I, I don't like Mamma Mia. It's fine. Your secret's safe here. But Never See, <laughs> Never See and Juliet, which is a fantastic musical, but is definitely a jukebox musical. I just, I mean, currently in my stage musical love, Six Holds and Come From Away. Come From Away yeah. is a documentary musical and this is not the topic of this, this episode, but ah, oh, that makes me so happy. Okay, so Zoe, tell us about Anne Juliet. You know you want to. Yes. I mean, Anne Juliet is fantastic, uh, which is why you're wrong. Um, so Anne Juliet is basically taking, uh, obviously, Romeo and Juliet and flipping it and saying, well... That's a really kind of uh, misogynistic story. What if Juliet didn't kill herself over some boy and actually went on and had a life? What would happen? Um, and they do it and set it to modern songs, but the songs are part of the plot and the narrative. So, you know, Juliet survives, goes on, uh, runs away and starts her new life and accidentally ends up getting engaged to another boy that she has no interest in because of, situations and oops I did it again fits really well <laughs> is that big and you know Julie Juliet singing about the fact you know when she's trying to get her parents to understand she doesn't want to live this boring ass life that they've mapped out for her um you know Bon Jovi's It's My Life is a really good fit so you know is it there is a place for jukebox musicals, but they've got to have some originality to their plot. I think what Anne Juliet does differently to We Will Rock You and Abba the Waste of Time um, is it's <laughs> a they have written a story and they have found modern songs to fit in it to progress the narrative rather than go, here's a back catalogue of a band. How many songs can we shove it together to make some semblance of plot? They've done it the other way around. Um and there is some original songs in there. I think there's two or three. Your resistance to my charm now ends When I belt these power chords Good guys or bad guys It doesn't really matter You are all just slaves to my hypnotic pattern. The other renaissance we had, and I think this is definitely true with streaming devices, and I think we can put a lot of this down to Hamilton, is the return of cast recordings and stage recordings of musical being a big thing again. Uh, there's been quite yes. there's been quite a, a, a quite a resurgence in that. Um, you think Amazon Prime did it with Jamie? the musical though they did it really badly and that really annoyed me uh but yeah the hamilton way of doing it news uh newsies they've they've done a stage recording of that again um we're getting a, a stage recording of six as well um like a movie stage recording version um they're becoming a thing again um not to uh theaters but to streaming services do you think that's because it better serves an audience maybe this way I mean, certainly with things like maybe Hamilton even, um, definitely the recording of Come From Away, it's 
also kind of an artifact of the pandemic because yes. people couldn't see it so and they still wanted wanted people to see it and wanted to to get the audience numbers so they needed to do something else um not that I don't absolutely love it. I mean, I also lapped up all of the the show must go on stuff on YouTube while it was on. I'm very sad it's no longer on. But I think it ties into. So I think it is absolutely kind of a child of the pandemic. But I also think it's that point you made earlier that theatre isn't accessible for a lot of people. Whether it's because of your location, the show is not on in your area, or Fucking whether it's expensive. That's why. Like when I, it really it's expensive. Weird. So. I saw Avenue Q five times when I lived in London. Ugh. A, I loved the musical, but but B, they used to do tickets for a fiver. So when I had people coming down to London and they wanted to see a show and I was like a lowly student or, you know, starting off in my career and not earning that much, I could get tickets to take them to see Avenue Q. So they got to experience a London show without me breaking the bank. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I saw... Um, Wicked, and before that, Elizabeth, um, nine times or something silly like that when I was still living at home, because you could do a thing where you took the nine o'clock train out and see the matinee performance and come back and be back by nine o'clock on a Saturday. And they did cheap, cheapish, like not for a fiver, but given that the other cheapest tickets for the bad seats started at like 60, 70 quid, uh, getting fifth, sixth row leftover seats for 45 was pretty great. So I've just uh, looked online and the cheapest tickets I can get for a musical in my area, which is Greater Manchester. So uh, uh, the second biggest city or the, the UK's second city, Big city, like London, but less wanky. Um, I used to live in London until, like, end of last year. So, yeah, I understand. <laughs> um, and the cheapest price you can get a ticket for, which is six the musical, by the way. So a uh, very short musical. It's only 90 minutes. Um, and it's quite a cheap musical to put on, by all accounts. It is, um, you know... It's it, we're not trying to put on yeah. lame is here, and the cheapest seats you can get a restricted view on the um upper stand um the upper standing circle for twenty six pounds. Yeah, yeah, that's um. I think the London ones, the cheapest seats sell for like thirty five. Um, I looked at it recently because I really want to go. Um, all of the West End shows I've recently seen were presents, like. Uh, Ed and I got, um, my husband and I got, uh, come from away as a Christmas present from his aunt. And I saw Hamilton because a friend had a ticket spare because the girl he wanted to take to see that with him uh, was no longer in the picture. What a win so for you, though! It was like, oh. Yeah, he was like, I, I don't even want the money back. I just don't want to go on my own on my birthday while looking at the empty seat where my girlfriend should be. Does anybody want to come? And you were like, yes, and yes, I, I will. <laughs> that's that's how I got to see Hamilton, which great. I know someone that but... was looking to get tickets to see Sister Act and they looked at the front row tickets. Again, for Manchester, Manchester's a big city. We've got five big theatres. Um, but the front row was three hundred and eight pounds 
for a seat for yep, sit sounds, for sit to right. Why? Um, and I think a lot of the problem with cheaper seats is they're often restrictive view, which means although you can get a cheaper seat, you're you you would have to go on your own. So one of you can have a cheaper seat and not be able to see anything, but the person sitting next to you has got to pay 10, 15, 20 quid more. Mm. And there's an interesting point there uh, about TV musicals and episodes. And you made the point earlier, Rachel, that for, especially in cartoons, that might be kids' first introduction to musical. But actually, musicals as a genre have always had this kind of association with elitism because of the cost um so i find it really interesting obviously you then get kind of the musical episodes of tv um again for a lot of people that's probably the first time they've really watched anything that's kind of related to a musical because it's part of the tv show they already like so it's got less of that association so yeah i think what we're saying is that it introduces new people to musicals uh, new audiences to musicals in several different ways one it's accessible either through uh location price proximity you know you're sitting at home and you're already paying for it so you're not paying any extra um whatever your social or economical mobility issues might be they're already catered for because again you're sat at home it's fun to do it's fun to watch but it also means you can you can see a musical thing well, I think it is more true for like film shows than it is for originally film musicals as a this is a film that is also a musical because they are always films. They are not stage shows. Exactly. Oh, not necessarily. But um, no, I yeah, I agree. Though speaking of musicals being very white, yes, absolutely. But I'm also so so pleased to see more colorblind casting in the west end i think there's been a real i just gotta say push, yes um this i think it, it's been this decade i would say there's been it feels like we've had an instrumental push towards making it much better and i'm so pleased to see it and i think the first place i really noticed that was in six the musical where it was colorblind casting and it's such a diverse casting and i love it um uh, one of the I'm... main Elsas currently in Frozen in London is black. Yes, and Twitter was very upset about that, I saw. I I, I... did not know that Twitter was upset about I follow um, the uh, actress who plays Sven, Michaela Jade, on uh, TikTok. Yes. And she occasionally showcases like other people in the cast. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we had a uh, Christine in Phantom of the Opera. I remember there being some kind of grumble uh, when uh, uh, a black woman was cast as Christine. I can't remember what it was, but I just remember it kind of bubbling up and I noticed at the time. I was like, oh, what a stupid thing to get in. Um, without wanting to mention yes. She Who Must Not Be Named, but obviously when they cast the terrible, terrible t- stage show Harry Potter thing, they cast, uh, they, gen- uh, they colorblind cast Hermione as well, which was... Um, yes. Massive, massive news and fantastic. Um, and yeah, so I think I think you're right. I think uh, historically it's been very white, um, and I think it's excellent that we're seeing a massive push away from that and to a more colorblind casting uh, system. Also, um, to- going back to like musicals on TV, uh, Schmigadoon has an yes. interracial couple in it, and like it's a plot point but it's also it's really cool that it that it is 
yeah, I think Schmigadoon's great. Okay, okay. Tell oh, people about Schmigadoon because it's got a stupid name. <laughs> go on, Sonia. You can probably describe it much better than me with technical terms because I just go, it's a musical show and it's pretty and it has Alan Cummings, who I love. I mean, all of these things are true. Um, Schmigadoon are the are titled coming from the uh, famous musical Brigadoon, uh, which was quite an early is it Rogers and Hammerstein possibly but it's quite uh, I don't think it's Rogers and Hammerstein but it's definitely of that ilk yeah um and it is um well it is a pastiche series of this kind of musical the, the classic over-the-top film musical like uh things like Brigadier like Chi Chi Bang Bang um and the plot is that a young couple from New York who are in fact having a bit of a, a bit of a crisis of relationship go hiking in the woods and go over a magic bridge and end up in the world of this musical and they can't leave the world of the musical before they have completed their character arc following the conventions of a classic film musical and sounds like a she nightmare. is a massive musical fan, and he absolutely has no idea what's going on and of course because it's classic film musical it's also a 19 1910s in places yeah. inspired a uh, world of very strict morals and it is yeah, because you have Christian Chenowitz again, uh, yes, who turns up. Evil mayor. <laughs> yes, who doesn't like like they can't sleep together because they're not married. They have to have separate bedrooms. Yes, and of course the 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 the, the secret gay who of course cannot be because that is the worst. Um, yeah. And yeah, and it is it's really clever because it works with this this modern couple who know the conventions of the genre in parts and they know the um they, they are modern-minded people running up against this over-the-top almost victorian moraled world of candy-colored musical numbers um it's it's hilarious yeah. Yeah, because the whole thing is, isn't it? They can't cross the bridge until true love, basically. The whole thing, like they're on a couple's retreat because their relationship's in trouble um, and they can't cross the bridge until they find true love. And they're like, well, obviously we're each other's true love, aren't we? Aren't we? Can't cross the bridge. Oh, damn. Oh, damn, maybe we're not. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, as Sonia says, it's very much the kind of modern ideals clashing up against the the musical kind of rose-tinted glasses of life and you know what would you actually do everybody goes oh, I'd love to live in a musical look it's so wonderful and then you have the modern couple doing it and it's like oh it, it's not actually that wonderful I I found it very amusing that having watched it with my husband uh, we just looked at each other and said well if that happened to us it, it would be obvious we, we sit down and we go through the conventions of the uh of the musical and what it expects of us and I mean he was like oh yeah you're the expert here so we go through all of this and then we both go our separate ways and go through our plots and then come back together and get over the bridge okay it's like and that's where you see that nerds and larpers shouldn't be thrown into any kind of uh, <laughs> magical realism situation because we just go and solve the plot 
There's plot to solve. Let us go. I'm going to give you an opportunity each to mention one musical episode of a show that you want to talk about. And it cannot be Buffy. I want to mention the Riverdale episode where they do Heathers because it's shit. (laughs) I knew you were going to rant about that. (laughs) To me, this is a really good... Why is it so shit? So to me, this is a really good example of where you've got a highly musically trained cast um, who have done Broadway or similar, um, you know, who who can do it, um, where you've got kind of a cross pop culture kind of thing of kind of Heather's a musical and that kind of style of musical um, and the show having quite a big overlap. Um, but it narratively doesn't work within the story. So the the plot, and I use that term extremely loosely when I talk about Riverdale. Um, the plot of the episode is they're putting on Heather's, but then it ties in to their real lives but they don't have set people playing set members of the cast, except they do sometimes. And he- we, all, we all know the Heather's TV show, uh, the Heather's movie. It's, you know, a new guy comes in, he wants to blow up the school, the three Heathers, blah, 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 blah. But they don't have any new people to do that. So they use a pre-existing cast to try and create this, to put this, it just, it just doesn't work. And then there's something about a cult in it and how actually they're brainwashing everyone by performing a musical for the cult. Right. Yeah. So I that is I that is what I want to talk about because I think it's an example of where it doesn't work. Um where we have some really good musical episodes, but I think that one just doesn't fit. They've done several musical episodes. Hedwig and the Angry Itch musical episode is really well received and really good. This one just doesn't work. It just doesn't fit narratively. They're not singing anything new with these songs. They're not we're not giving that dual narrative or any second narrative, we're kind of shoehorning songs from a popular musical into a popular show and it doesn't work. Oh, I'm trying to think. So there is, it's probably another example of one that just doesn't work and I really wish it had, um, which is the Once Upon a Time musical episode. So again, they they had some good musical talent on the cast. They also had some weaker members of the cast. Um, but rather than writing songs that I think kind of fit the cast members' talents, it, you had some people trying to do songs that just didn't fit. And some of the songs just, it didn't really gel together. Um, like, I really enjoy Hook song, but that's mainly because I fancy Hook. Um, <laughs> but bless her, the Evil Queen song um, that Regina sings, like, they they should have leaned more into it. She's, you know, the villain. It should have been more rock than it was. They kind of made it a little bit more rock than the other songs, but not enough to cover that she wasn't a really confident singer um, or that the song just wasn't really well written. And I think that was the main thing the episode suffered from was the songs just weren't well written. They obviously wanted to do a musical episode and kind of found a way to shoehorn it in, but actually I thought the songs were not well written which is such a shame because for so many musical episodes like some of the ones we've mentioned you can 
straight away name songs from them and you want to sing them. And from the Once Upon a Time one, I've watched it several times. And the only song that vaguely sticks in my head is the pirate song that Hook sings. And that's because it's basically a pirate shanty and it's fairly easy to remember. I think it's but the rest are pretty bad. Pretty bad. I think it's interesting you say this doesn't work because Once Upon a Time is based on fairy tales. And what we know is Disney musicals or, you know, the Disney animations are mostly fairy tales like Peter Pan. And that's why it should work. Like when they said they were doing a musical episode, everyone was like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, it's the Disney, it's fairy tales. Like this is absolutely made to be. This is going to be fantastic. And then it was just a bit lackluster. Everyone was like, oh, oh, well, they tried. And it's like such a shame. It's such a missed opportunity. I think the musical episode that I want to bring in is the Lucifer one. Yes. Mostly because Tom Ellis got a voice like Velvet. Yes. And... I have a personal soft spot for Wicked Game um, for a variety of nerdy reasons. Also, that group, Another One Bites the Dust, just, just, yes. It was, it was very funny. Um, it's, it's a bit the whole, oh, uh, God made everybody sing because I think you got bored. But I don't know, I really liked it. I think that's a really... It's also got some amazing musical talent in there. So. Well, it does. I also think it's a really good example of where the musical episode doesn't take itself too seriously. Like, they know it's a bit dumb and a bit yes. goofy, and I think that's where it, it works for itself, um, is it is intentionally dumb and goofy and is quite a nice... I think it fits really nicely within the rest of the Lucifer kind of feel and narrative, so... I, I like I like your suggestions. Yes, it does. Yours. I like that you've picked a positive one, and, and me and Zoe have both gone for negative version, like not not the greatest. The demon queen of high school has decreed it. She says Monday 8 a.m. I'll be deleted. They'll hunt me down in study hall. Something about me on the wall. Thirty hours to live. How shall I spend this? Okay, so my final question, what I want to end on, what TV show do you think should make a musical episode that hasn't already? I can start because I, I feel like throwing this on you and it's a, and it's a, it's a, it's a tough question. Um, I would love to see, I would love to see, if I could have anything in the world, a TNG episode of Star Trek as a musical. I'd love to see... <laughs> War. It has to be one of the ones with Q in, though, yeah. right? Because like Q's going to make the musical. Yeah, happen, the villain made obviously. me do it. Absolutely, I want to see. Yep. I want to see um, Riker dancing. I want to see Jean Luc Picard giving us his his soulful ship's captain ballad. I want Worf to sing in, in Klingon. You know, that's that's if I could have any any musical episode of any show, that is what I'd have. I feel like that would be amazing. And I know no one's answer is going to be as good as mine, and that's okay. Yeah, no, like that's hard now because you've set the bar really high. I, I think it must be the heat. I can suddenly not remember a single TV show I have ever watched. <laughs> ever. Um, Just ever. I've never watched a television show. <laughs> I, I've never watched a show. I've never been into a show. This is not a thing I do. Wait. <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Has Brooklyn Nine-Nine done a musical episode? Because I feel like it should have. Like it had some good musical talent in there. They didn't. I don't think they have. And yeah, 
So there we go. That's my option. I'm, I'm going to go with 9-9. Nine, 9-9. Nine. Nine, nine. I see. Um, only murders in the building. Ooh. <laughs> that would... <laughs> nice. Why? It's the right kind of weird. Also, it's got Selena Gomez. Yeah, so again, you've got good musical talent. What would be the premise? Because obviously the Star Trek one is the villain made me do it. What's what's your premise? Probably one person sees it as a musical. Ah, yeah, no, I, yeah, that makes sense. It's weird drugs or something like that. Yeah. Okay, so you've gone for someone imagines it and no one else does. Zoe, what about your Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode? I feel like it's probably the Halloween episode. Like, there's japes. Like, I don't know. It's just... Special Halloween heist. Everything that yeah. must be sung. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, I can totally see that happening. I can... Jake would totally make that a rule. Okay, yeah. Yes. So you're doing the cast is putting on a musical. Basically, yes. Okay, okay. That's fine. I, I, I'm fine with that. So would, would, would they be adaptions of classical musicals? Would you be introducing people to pre-existing musicals um, as a gateway or would you be writing your own songs? I feel like Nine Nine would do the Anne Juliet approach so there'd be modern songs tweaked to fit um, kind of the cast's moments. What about you? What about the great TNG episode? <laughs> the, the, the lost TNG episode that we never saw. Um, I think it would probably have to be specially written music for it because uh, you'd have to have a song in Klingon and you'd have to have Data singing in binary or something. One zero um, zero one one zero. I mean, only murders is very, very strong for the cameos. It they had, they had Sting in the first series. They got uh, Amy Schumer right now. Um, so, so Neil Patrick Harris is going to be in it, is what you're telling me. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris is going to be in it, but maybe also someone like Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh, okay. So like dual villains, maybe or something. I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you think about it, Barrowman's another one that's famous for turning up in these things. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. Barrowman. Oh, Barrowman. Let's all be thankful there was not many times. a musical Torchwood episode. I'm surprised there was not, given... I, I said like, be thankful. Don't... No, I'm sad because I would have accepted that, especially the ones where they had James Masters in it as well, like them crooning at each other. That's it. I'm gone. I'm done. Also, done. I mean, Hugh Jackman. And I still want to see Wolverine sing. Um... I mean, have you heard the next instalment of the incel fantasy, The Joker, is going to have Lady Gaga in it and be a musical? I mean, I'm here for Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn. The rest of it I can do without, but... You know, but are we doing it to introduce people that she finds her ivy? Are we doing a film that introduces new people to musicals, or are we just using it as a narrative device? Narrative device, I would have thought, but... Yeah, probably. That's it for another episode of The Narrative Labyrinth. I'd like to thank my guests again, Sonia and Zoe. Do you have any parting words or things you'd like to shamelessly plug? Well, I don't particularly enjoy showing my face on the internet. My voice is slightly different. But I do run an adorable little uh, Instagram account for an adorable little plush dragon that likes to go on adventures and it is also quite nice for me to practice a little bit of photography. So Instagram.com slash that underscore tiny underscore dragon. Come on little dragon adventures. I didn't know you were the little dragon adventure person. So I am the little dragon adventure person. 
It is a very cute little dragon that goes on adventures. Okay, so the uh, Instagram link will be in the show notes below. Um, uh, can we find you on Twitter or anyone else or anywhere else on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at uh, November Alice, and that is also my handle in most places on the internet. Excellent. We can find you wherever we choose. Uh, Zoe, do you have anything you want to say this time? I mean, no, because generally you either find me on here or you find me on The Great Derelict. That They tend to be the places I lurk. Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, Zoe on the go with underscores between all of them words. I'm not spelling it out because nobody needs that. Uh, but other than that, I haven't got anything to plug. So I just want to say... You literally have another bye. podcast. Excellent. And don't forget, you can catch the next episode of The Narrative Labyrinth, where we again delve into the depths of narrative on the screen, on the page, and in the stories we create and play ourselves, and sometimes sing. Uh, you can find The Narrative Labyrinth on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and a host of other platforms that I honestly cannot be bothered to list, but you can still find us there. So have a wonderful time. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Goodbye. I already sang my goodbye. You ruined it. <laughs> Cheers.